What up? This is Dart Adams, and this is episode 20 of Dart Against Humanity. I would have recorded this episode sooner, but I was busy blocking people on Twitter. Yeah, because yesterday, apparently, I made the mistake of making a tweet where I, of course, saw the Black Panther got added to Netflix. So I go to look for it. It doesn't show up in any of my uh, immediate lists. So I go search for it. I figure if I type B in my pop-up, doesn't L, doesn't pop up A, doesn't pop up C. I typed entire thing black, then I put the space after it. While I'm typing black, all these other films that don't even have black in the title, but are Marvel movies are popping up. So I'm like, that's weird. And so anyway, I find it and I start playing it. And then I tweet out exactly what happened to me. Fast forward hours and my mentions are full of people telling me I'm reaching or this I'm trying to prove that Netflix is racist or I'm trying to prove that there's a conspiracy against them trying to uh, bury the movie. Why would they try to bury it? This was one of the biggest movies, if not the biggest movie of 2018. Um and then people are like, you're reading too much into it. Calm down, chill. And I'm like, I'm quite literally not spazzing out or anything. I'm not making accusations. I just tweeted what the fuck happened. And it's continuing now. So from about 8 o'clock till now, it's 2.17 a.m. I think I've blocked between 175 to 200 people. I have now blocked more accounts than I follow on Twitter. Fun. And then on top of that, early day, so Red Sox are playing the Atlanta Braves. They're getting their ass whooped because they put in Drew fucking Pomerantz, of all people, when it was a close game. Motherfucker throws 23 pitches, doesn't get anybody out. Then he just gives up a gang of runs. So I'm in the best mood possible. And then last night, I watched the Bobby Brown story. And... um. As somebody who's a lifelong Roxbury, Lower lower Roxbury, South End resident, and actually, you know, grew up in and around what happened with these guys and heard stories secondhand and knew people that were in the crew, you know, what was going on with the B. Brown Posse, when cats went to Atlanta with the Boss Town Studios thing, yada, yada, yada. I have issues with last night's um, Bobby Brown story. So there's a lot of shit going on right now. And I think this podcast isn't even like three minutes in. So I don't know. I'm, let's talk about exactly what bothered me about the Bobby Brown story. First off, the Bobby Brown story starts in 1980. After Bobby's grandmother passes, right? And Bobby encounters Jimbo, Jimbo Flint. Uh, one of his best friends, I thought it was his cousin. Uh, I Then again, everybody was somebody's cousin. We had a lot of play cousins and family growing up in the hood. So I thought Jim, because everybody was close to everybody and um, OP. You know, there were like entire units. There were entire buildings, blocks, floors. Everybody was just, it was like a communal experience. Everybody rocked with everybody. And um, so I was under the impression young the Jimbo was like related to Bobby but they were always together they were like and Jimbo was older than Bobby Jimbo died right after my sixth birthday so he died what August 20th 1981 either on his way to a party the story I've heard several stories I've heard, I know he got stabbed I heard he got stabbed either over a kid that was trying to steal his bike or ride his bike or it was over a girl 
there was issues with a girl and then dude started messing with his bike or something of that nature. But the story goes that, and he was on his way to a party. I thought it happened at night. Uh, Jimmy got stabbed by the dude. They carry him into the Browns building and the Browns had like a double apartment because there were so many of them and they like shared like a unit. And there was a landing. There was like stairs and then a landing in front of it. And Jimmy was laying there like bleeding out. And I believe Bob saw it and everything else. And he was bleeding out. They're trying to get the ambulance or whatever to show up. It shows up and it takes him. But the blood's still on the landing. It's still on the stairs when they take him. And this is one of the issues, one of the things that like Bob Bobby never forgot. Now you have to remember that August 1981 is when um Jimbo dies in February 1982 they actually February 14th 1982 is when they actually win the Hollywood Talent Night competition and then they record later on they record Candy Girl then Candy Girl comes out and then you know in 1983 that's when the Candy Girl album comes out because the Candy Girl single came out in November 82 and it took a while for it to blow up it, like it took until spring 83 to blow up then the album comes out and then the album blows up then in 84 they're on MCA because of the um the lawsuit that they had after they didn't get paid from um streetwise they end up on MCA where they get uh screwed again so that's the timeline i'm establishing here but it the bobby brown story starts out with a fallacy it starts out with an inaccuracy. And from there, I'm like, what? Why would they do that? And here's the thing. They never address what happened to Bobby directly afterwards. Like, that affected Bobby. Bobby dedicated, I believe he dedicated King of Stage and Don't Be Cruel to Jimbo. Okay? But, they never addressed Bobby having trouble dealing with Jimbo's passing immediately afterwards. Like Bobby, I heard that like they tried to get him in some type of therapy, not necessarily the family. Um, people were trying to like figure out what was wrong with him. People used to say Bobby was crazy for years afterwards. That's why in my prerogative, it starts, they say I'm crazy. It really don't care. That's my prerogative. But yeah, people used to call, call Bobby like crazy. He used to say that like, he was out there. He had a tattoo on his arm that says Black the Madman. He always considered it like his alter ego. So if I tweeted like, oh shit, is Risen Black? That's what they were. Like Bobby and Ralph, regardless of people putting them against each other in the studio or whatever to perform, they're brothers. All the members of New Edition are brothers. Regardless of what fucking issues they have, they will be resolved because, because Roxbury. They're brothers. That's something you understand. Do not fuck with Boston. Do not fuck with Roxbury ever. I'll tell you that right now. But the thing I'm telling you is that from that point forward, I'm already like, what, what are they doing? Um, so what did they skip in the Bobby Brown story? Uh, they don't fully go into what happened when Bobby Brown recorded King of Stage. They don't fully go into... What happened after King of Stage? Sure, they talk about girlfriend. Girlfriend, they didn't really get into the fact. Girlfriend's a number one R&B hit, but it didn't cross over. 
And that the fact that it happened in 1986 when Janet Jackson is killing everything with control and that changed the entire landscape of black music. And what they don't talk about is, yes, they have the conversation with Ralph, but they don't talk about Ralph was feeling super skeptical about what was going on with New Edition after their management forced them to make the um, Under the Blue Moon album. At a time in 1986 when the music is going more and more into what's going to be New Jack Swing. I've written about this. Go back and read the pieces I wrote about what happened in black music in 86, 87, 88, that whole era. era. So both of them are like, yo, we need to do something different. Ralph was actually thinking about doing a solo album. Ralph was working with Dwayne Omar, who was part of the Boston Funk Continuum, and doing demos with them cats. Um, There's a whole bunch of people like Cornell Brown, who is from Boston, ended up working, I believe, in Atlanta with Bobby at Boston Studios, ended up uh, producing The Incredible Crew, Bounce This Your Birthday, ended up working with Bad Boy and Arista Records, mixing and mastering records. Um, Boston guy, a lot of stuff going on. Um, you know, there was stuff that they completely skipped about uh, after that album, the interim uh, yeah, they did talk about the time he got L.A. and Babyface and then they brought in Teddy Riley. And then they went into some of the making of um, Don't Be Cruel, which is cool. They didn't do enough, I don't think. There should be more performances. They didn't fully get into what happened on the um, legendary Heartbreak Tour. Where Bobby Brown became such a huge star that I'll be sure began getting obscured. They didn't cover that at all, which I think is fucking crucial. They need to be more performances. They needed to highlight the fact that Bobby was so big by the second leg of the tour. The tour ran from September 15th, 1988, I believe, to February 27th, 1989. So um, by the second leg of the tour... Bobby had become the act right before New Edition, who were, of course, the headliners. But by the time that tour ended, Bobby was the biggest uh, biggest star in all of music. So Bobby had to plan a world tour, his own world tour. I believe he brought New Edition on some of the dates. I'm not 100% sure who were the headline, I mean, who were the um, acts on the Bobby Brown world tour. But... That's not addressed. They don't address the fact that between September 1988 and September 1989, Bobby Brown did more tour dates than anybody. Bobby Brown was on the road so much that I wrote this on Twitter. There was a stretch where if you looked at a full calendar year, he had done certain markets between eight and ten times already and all the shows were sold out. And on the and something else that like people don't really understand is that at the time of the tour, the heartbreak tour they didn't do a date leave go to another space a date leave go to another space sometimes they would do two three dates in one place and do multiple shows so if you sell out multiple shows in the same place do you understand how much fucking drawing power you have that i didn't catch them the first night I caught him the second night. We went to all three. Can, do you? Okay, I may be screaming into the phone, but I just need you to understand how insane that is. And I need you to understand that Bobby Brown did so many shows that there was a point where he had to stop doing shows. He had to cancel shows and people got mad and they sued him over it because he was exhausted. And also, you have to remember that between 1988 and 1990, Bobby Brown's the biggest thing 
on, on biggest thing going. He's selling out everything. He's making hits. He's making hits for Glenn Medeiros, who is fucking swaggerless. You know, he's doing the Ghostbusters soundtrack. Did a number one hit for that after he'd already made number one hits, a gang of number one hits on his album. So it's like he has six or seven number one hits. Slow songs, up tempo joints, ballads, Roni. You know, um, so he's on fire, but Bobby doesn't have an opportunity to chill, calm down, really get back into the music that way because he's in so much demand. And of course, new additions blowing up, too. So they don't really talk about this era or what was going on with his music or his career. And they didn't have enough performances. They didn't have the AMA performance. The American Music Award performance is crucial. It should have been there. You can find it on YouTube. The medley. They don't have the 1990 Video Music Awards performance, which is something I'm really pissed off about because... Uh, they put in what they call now the tension interview. The tension interview was about the video music awards performance, the MTV video music awards performance, because it was a new edition um, reunion. They each did a mini concert, then they came out and came out together, and it blew the fucking doors off everything. Nobody had ever done something like that before. And then they do not address word to the mother when BBD brought all the members of New Edition back to Roxbury in 1991. I really think that this is a sticking point and this is something that should have been in the first New Edition thing. But they keep fucking jumping around. If it's the Bobby Brown story, I feel like like the New Edition story, the thing that stuck the New Edition story together was yes, you had to perform, you had the performances and you had the talking about the music at the same time you get into their life. Because here's the thing. We attach ourselves to the artist through their art. And in order to do that, we need a timeline. So, yeah, they'll talk about, oh, this is the Bobby album coming out. And then they're doing a whole bunch of stuff. And then you hear the music in the background. You're like, wait, is this 1995? How the fuck did we get here? How did we get to 1994? What happened with the Bobby album? And then, like, they mentioned in passing. That's why the Bobby album didn't do what it's supposed to. Why didn't we go on the fucking Bobby album, ex- um, the Bobby album um, experience? Why don't we go on the humping around experience? You know, why Why don't we talk about uh, the singles off that album? Like, Bobby had multiple hits from the album. Get Away? Get Away was a big song. His visit to SNL? You know, like, the movies that he did? Like, we're skipping around liberally. We're not discussing enough. We're just like throwing shit out there. Like next thing you know, Bobby's fucking Janet Jackson up against the wall. And I'm like, and people are like, wait, what? Not everybody. It's, it's kind of like the thing where people didn't know about Lauren Hill getting sued by Newark. People of a certain age group have no clue Bobby Brown and Janet Jackson were a thing. They have no clue. I do. I'm old. I was around for a lot of this stuff. I remember the Fresh magazine covers. I remember the Right On and Black Beat magazines. I remember that whole rumor mill. I remember people talking about this shit in the barbershop. In Boston, we got all the news. Bobby was running with Styles and Reese Cuts, Heart and Soul. 
he had the B Brown posse. So another thing, the Bobby Brown, um, they skipped the whole B Brown posse era. Bobby had Boss Town Studios. He had like B Brown posse. He had like his own record label popping off. He had got um Tam Tam signed to um Island Records. So this is all shit we knew in Boston. They keep calling somebody Coop. Coop. They keep saying Coop. And you're like, who the fuck is Coop? Coop B. B Brown Posse. Smooth Silk. Styles. Hal Travis. D.D. O'Neill. Why don't we hear anything about these folks? Why don't we hear anything about Bobby opening Boston Studios and who's working there in Atlanta? Bobby did a lot of shit in Atlanta. A lot in Atlanta. Nobody's discussing that. That's kind of important because now we're going, and then it took so long. It's like, okay, now we're going to talk about the drugs. And, okay, now Whitney's doing drugs at the wedding. Right? Now she's doing drugs. Now, all of a sudden, bam, everybody's on the drugs. Nobody did drugs before. Nobody did drugs afterwards. Not even once. Not even an experiment or something like that. The way they popped it on everybody is is, is fucked up. Because people are like, wait, what? We're going to do this now? Like this? They And where the fucking performances? I've said this already. But those are a crucial thing. When you look at the when you look at the new edition story, the thing that hooks everything together are the shows, the eras, the music. And there isn't enough music. And it's not like Bobby wasn't around for enough. They don't even fucking cover the whole Stone Cold Gentleman thing. That shit would have been dope. When Bobby showed up for Ralph. Yeah, you have Bobby and Risen beginning. How come Bobby, you don't have when Bobby showed up for Ralph? Then they did the video together. Then they went on um, Arsenio Hall. That was one of the best fucking performances of the era. When they fucking went out there together. You didn't decide to put that in the BT story? I really feel like the people who were at the table really dropped the fucking ball. And it's only day one. And I think day two is only going to be fuckery. There wasn't enough performance or enough music to balance out the fuckery in day one. Day two, I think, is all fuckery because what's left? We have the super failed um, uh, Bobby Brown album with feeling inside who nobody bought. We have the home again, the home again thing. But then we cover the home again thing in the new new edition story. Now we're going to talk about the fuckery. On the Home Again tour? In Bobby's story? When do we get... So, this is all gonna be fuckery. So, what are we gonna talk... Because they skipped the new edition um, signing the bad boy when they actually got free of their original MCA contract in the original new edition story. So, what the fuck are they gonna skip? They skipped enough already. What are they gonna skip in part two? I'm already like, what? People who don't have a um, connection to... Or far removed from this story or what happened, don't have the same feeling I do, or people that were close, semi close to it, or close to it, or uh, somewhat attached to it have. I'm like, what? Why did why did they do that? Why did they skip that? How come they ran to here? Why? Not? Why they mention shit in passing? Why are these the years are off? The timing is off. I got a script from Martin Lawrence. Yes. 
it's just a lot, man. And I'm just, I'm already wary of what's going to happen um, when we get to tonight's conclusion. Because what's left, all that's left is fuckery. All that's left is misery. All that's left is death and disappointment and and financial ruin and the reality show. And I'm not looking forward to that if we didn't get a good foundation of the good times and the triumphs up before before it. Dead ass. So, yeah, that's my take on that. Now, um, another piece of this has to do with the portrayal or lack of images regarding black and Latino Bostonians. The lack of our stories, the lack of our experience in mainstream media. I went on Twitter yesterday and I was very vocal about how I was trepidatious about the fact that everyone's going to watch the Bobby Brown story as a family, using air quotes, like they did the new edition story. But what's going to come out of it is black America, who's supposedly our family, largely doing the same shit they've been doing forever and wholesale erasing us and misrepresenting us and overlooking us. As black and Latino Bostonians and Massachusetts residents and natives to shit on us nonstop. But y'all gonna sit up and watch the new edition story and claim you love it and the Bobby Brown story and claim they love it. Did you not hear all the fucking declarations about Boston in these fucking shows? Bobby, what does he say? Oh, you wanna play this game? Cool, but I'm playing Boston. Bobby. Talking about, yeah, the bean. Yeah, I rep the bean forever. These are things that are crucial to the story. They're not just fucking words. We rep the bean forever. I am a South End Lower Roxbury resident. I would not be on this fucking podcast talking to you if it wasn't for the fact of me being proud of what I am and where I'm from and it giving me. the resolve or the pride to be able to do what I do or be on Twitter when I have fucking million people up my ass on some bullshit and me just shutting them up and blocking them and going on about what I do that's because I'm from Boston but you'll never see this representation on screen or in the media unless of course I take a fucking gun to somebody or I shame somebody into making it happen which is unfortunate and is super frustrating for me and I'm sure you can hear the frustration in my voice because I already know that yes everybody's watching this as a family but y'all gonna go right back to that bullshit right after this is over because I've seen it happen before and history repeats itself I'm hoping it changes one day, but eh. I am not John Lennon. I am not a dreamer. I am not Martin Luther King Jr., who actually lived in Boston for a while. 
So another thing that happened is, you know, I had a lot of people explaining to me what algorithms are and how algorithms and personal algorithms work. And of course, I'm like, we've covered this already. We've gone through this already. And we've joked about it already, about how off these algorithms are. These algorithms are off and off. They're off on Netflix. They're off on YouTube. They're off on your um, Spotify or whatever fucking uh, streaming service that you prefer to use. It's going to take a while for it to learn. It should have already learned. It's not like I haven't been an early adopter on Netflix. It's not like I haven't had streaming Netflix since it's been available. It's not like I was an early adopter on Netflix back when it was mailing me stuff in 2000, 2001. Neither here nor there. Let's discuss something else. So, um, Ayanna Presley became the first black woman to finally, um, I believe, with Congress. And people are like, I can't believe in a place like Massachusetts or Boston that's so progressive that this, is, that this hasn't happened before. Well, nobody ran. And then somebody else tweeted that this might be the first time Boston was the, was the, uh, the center of black everything, whatever. I was like, motherfucker, we were for hundreds of years. Like, you're aware that the first people to sue for their freedom were here. The first people to get their freedom in America were here. The first people to have the first the first black settlement of free black folks in America was here in the late 1650s, early 1660s in Boston. They called it New Guinea. You don't know that. I know it because I live here and I'm a historian. You know what made me a historian? Living in fucking Boston where it's the, hist- where it's the home of black history in America. So when I see statements like that from people that don't know what the fuck they're talking about, I, it takes me, you know, I kind of want to lose it. But I don't. And then I have a podcast. <sighs> so, um... A lot of things happened, like, because yesterday was election day. A lot of people got elected to office. A lot of people that I know, I know personally, brown people, men and women, were elected to public office yesterday in Massachusetts and Boston. And it was a day of pride. And then I turn around and I got to deal with this bullshit today. It's just what it is. It's the duality of life, man. It's the duality of man. There's a good side, there's a bad side. Things will be better later on. Like by 5 o'clock, by 5 p.m., this won't even be an issue. But for right now, I'm just hot in my living room mad talking into a phone. It's what it is. Uh, Another thing that everybody's talking about today, which I don't really give a whole bunch of fucks about, but it's a topic of conversation. I feel like I kind of just like have to address it. Um, I'm probably not going to spend more than 10 minutes on it because I really don't really care that much. But there are aspects of it, I think, that are important. Um, the Eminem debate. And I don't think the Eminem debate is actually really about Eminem, at least not for me. I've had this discussion before with people. Um, I actually um, had a discussion about Eminem back in November 2017 on the Stuck on Stuff podcast, which is um, some of my boys. Um, Superstar Snuck from ST to Squad and Stiz Grimy, who's a, a local MC and he also works on, on Boston Radio. So at the time, Eminem had released that last album. Was it Revival? I don't know. I never really heard it. Um, wasn't fucking interested. 
and I need to I need you to understand this. There's nuance to this. I don't hate Eminem. I don't think Eminem isn't a good MC. I think he's a great MC. I think Eminem is one of the all-time greatest lyricists ever. The question is, do I want to hear an album from him? And the answer to that question is emphatically no, to quote Lord Jamar. I don't care to listen to an Eminem album. Eminem has nothing to offer me as far as content or album subject matter is concerned to warrant me wanting to listen to voluntarily or especially buy his material. Posts like the Marshall Mathers album. When Eminem made Encore, what was that, 2004 maybe? 2003, something like that? I was like, eh, I'm good. When he made the Eminem show, I was like, eh, ooh. Look up, Google when that was. So if I've been doing that for this long, like, eh, I don't need to hear another Eminem album. I mean, shit, look at Kanye West. When did Kanye West drop um, 808s and Heartbreaks? What, 2007, 8, some shit? No, it had to be after that, was it? Because I'm thinking about when Graduation was. Graduation was the last Kanye West album I actually purchased and enjoyed somewhat. I mean, purchased and enjoyed. Not as much as the previous albums, that's why I said somewhat. I really liked the previous albums. But like the albums after that, it wasn't, eh, not my thing. And people often come to me and they're like, wait, you didn't like um uh Dark beautiful nightmare dream whatever the fuck i'm like no not really i like the original versions i think he overdid it on the album versions there are demo versions for those songs where he didn't put on extra people all the lights the original version of all the lights without all the bullshit with all the extra stuff with all all the trimmings about him trying to put all the um extra icing on the cake and the flowers and shit it was great then he put on 400 people that didn't need to be on the song vocals that didn't need to be on the song he overdid it. So it just wasn't for me. And everything isn't for everybody. Some artists for some people, some art isn't. Some films are for people, some films aren't. That's why there's such a variety in life. You can like this, you can like that. You can like these kind of comic books, I can like these kind of comic books. I can like graphic novels, manga, whatever. There's a fucking wide variety, a diaspora, a wide selection. Get into that shit. Get into it. Get in where you fit in. But as far as Eminem's concerned, for me, not my thing. And the thing is that there are a lot of people, as time passes, that feel the same way that Eminem has not varied up his content enough, or have not changed up enough, or has not grown enough, considering how things are nowadays and in these days and times. Like, you're doing the same shit you did back in 1999, 2000, and 2018. People should be fed up. How much has changed in this time? You haven't. The, God, the fucking Beastie Boys weren't the same from 1984 until 1999. They had completely gone through a change. And they still made great music. On their own merit. In their own way. 
You know, like a lot of artists go through changes and and growth and stuff like that. Sometimes it doesn't resonate with audience audiences and sometimes it does. People make jokes about common. Why? Because common's been around forever. I used to be like, why are these people doing that? Now I, I kind of understand why. But that's the fucking, that's the territory. It comes with the territory when you've been around for so long. Common put out his first material, what, 1992? And he's still around in 2018? That's over 25 years. There's going to be some type of fatigue involved. There's a fatigue involved with Jay-Z. Look at how people wanted him when he put out uh, Kingdom Come. Because he made a song called 30-something. Where he was talking about being a grown-up. Or when he was talking about take off the... Take off the... Uh, take off the jersey or whatever and put on a button-up. Like, people were like, oh, what? Oh, you don't fuck with Tim's no more, Jay-Z? How old was Jay when that album came out? He's in a different stage of life. The dude was a fucking label president. You can't expect him to be the same guy he was in 1988, 1991, 1994, 1996, 1998, 1999. Now, there should have been some type of progression. Something should have changed. He should have gone somewhere else with it. You know? I totally get it. Am I always a fan of it? No. When's the last time Jay-Z made an album that made me like, yo... I really, I want to purchase this album. This has been a long ass time. And Jay-Z was hit and mess with albums for me anyway. Again, everything isn't for everybody. That's why I had a discussion on Twitter. And people were asking, uh, actually my boy Easy, Easy Money. He was talking about, hey yo, hey Dart, why don't you do this thing where you take a song from every Jay-Z album and make an ultimate Jay-Z album. I was like, do I have to? And of course, we don't have the same perspective. I'm older than Easy. I have a different standard. I don't like every Jay-Z album. Some Jay-Z albums I wish I could burn like these fucking idiot racists that want to do with Nikes. You're fucking morons. Um, I don't want to even rifle through this Jay-Z album. Again, I look at things like, I look at albums as a whole thing. Albums to me are like films. You can't say to me, yo, that film was trash, but it has some, it has some scenes in it though. If there's 14 songs in an album, and I think eight of those songs are trash, don't say, there were some joints on there. Three out of 14? That's a horrible batting average. That's a terrible batting average. I hate there were some joints on there. You low expectation having motherfucker. There were some joints on there. That's Freddie got fingered. There were some funny lines in there. Who gives a fuck? The movie sucked. The body of work matters. Telling me that there were some joints on there on a trash album is like going to a dumpster and say, yo, see that dumpster? There's some gems in there. Why am I going into the fucking dumpster to find them? Why do you expect me to? Why aren't they in a store? So the issue with Eminem and people just not being fans anymore or being receptive to his new material 
is hilarious because there are people that are older that think that, oh, it's young people disrespecting Eminem. No, it's not all young people disrespecting Eminem who don't have the background and know who he is. I fully know who he is. I first heard Eminem when I was 21. I'm done. I'm exhausted. I don't want to hear an Eminem album. I'm kind of done with it. I think Eminem is an amazing MC. I think he's great at rhyming words together. I think he's a fantastic wordsmith. But you can't fucking bother me to say, yo, surprise album. Surprise, I don't want to hear the shit. Is that disrespect? No, I know what I want. I know what I like. If a pop, if a movie, if a movie popped up on Netflix or popped up on my um on my recommended list from some actor or director who I'm not a fan of anymore because I don't like the movies that they make or the art that they make anymore because it's not the same as it used to be, is that disrespectful? No, I know what I like. I know what my preference is. I'm probably not going to enjoy it. Why waste my time? The thing I don't get is, you know, everybody on this whole, oh, Joe Budden going at Eminem and I can't believe Joe said this in the podcast and not in the rap. Why does he need to rhyme? Why? Hasn't he done enough? Use the fucking platform you have. Do what you want. Get the message across the way you need to get it across. That's all that matters. I used to rhyme. I used to do a whole bunch of shit. Now, then I started doing journalism and that worked way better for me. Now, journalism is turning something else. I'm going to move into film and, and different other kind of content. That's going to work better for me. I'm going to be able to resonate with people. I'm doing a fucking podcast right now. Like, Twitter is a different kind of interaction, daily interaction with people. But right now, my Twitter is lousy with idiots and trolls. So here I am speaking directly to people. There are people out there, right? I've been told there are. So the underlying theme has to deal with, um, I believe, what Joe Budden is talking about, where it's content versus performance. Where he talks about, I'm a content guy, and you're just a lyrical, miracle, spiritual guy. Like, you haven't said shit in a decade. I mean, okay. Again, everybody has their own take on it, but just a decade, I'd say more. And then it comes down to the uh, idea of flash versus substance. A lot of people love summer blockbusters because of the explosions and the excitement and all these other things. I like substance. I like, for the most part, it's why I lean towards things like independent film. I like character-based stuff for the most part. I like writing. So I'm this way with film, I'm this way with, with albums. A lot of major label albums, they need to do things in order to reach a certain, get a certain reach, have a certain appeal, reach certain demographics. If you're underground, you don't really give a fuck. You just do what you do and you figure it's going to reach who it's going to reach because the idea isn't necessarily to sell this certain amount of units. It's just to have a product out so you can go tour overseas or do shows here. But the money's overseas. When you're independent rapper or MC over here, you know how few physical copies you press? You sell those out, you're good. Then you work on the digital shit. Then you have enough copies to take overseas to Europe. Or, and then you sell them there so people don't have to buy them and you know, have to spend all the extra amount of money on shipping and shit. That's where the money is. 
So when you do independent film and independent music, your standards change. What you're after changes. You're not like you. It's a, it's a lot of getting doubles and stealing bases as opposed to relying on hitting home runs. And now I'm mad about the Red Sox losing to the fucking um, Atlanta Falcon. I mean the Atlanta um, Braves again. And they won the series, but I'm just mad because I wanted them to take down another point on the um on the magic number because it was down to 15. I just want them to get the Yankees the fuck out of here as soon as possible so they can rest. Anyway, so. What else do I have to talk about today? Yeah, so this is the 20th episode of Dart Against Humanity. Um, As I've told you all before, the first season was 13 episodes. This season more than likely will be 22. Uh, I don't really like the idea of establishing goals or having numbers in mind or something like that. But just... As a thinking person, I had a benchmark just in case to see if there was going to be any growth going forward to give me an idea of how it was going to um, proceed. And I had a goal in mind for what I wanted to want to look like as far as views or readership or growth for August. And I had a number based on the growth from the f- month before. And then there was the month where I had the hiatus. So I figured, all right, if it grows to this number, then I know what I'm going to do forward. Well, guess what? That number was uh, exceeded by over 20%. So I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing now. I'm going to try to make it better, however that will, however that looks. Um, I'm working on writing a couple of um, things going into September. One of the things I want to do is I'm going to uh, do the update, the 20th anniversary version of the September 29th, 1998 piece about uh, the release date of, it was the Black Star album, A Tribe Called Quest, um... Which Outcast album was it? Stankonia um, or Quimini? I think it was a Quimini. Um, no, it was a Quimini. Uh, what else? It was Brand Nubian Foundation, and I think there was another album involved in that. But I'm going to do the 20th anniversary piece of that. That's going to be up at the end of September. Um. I'm trying to do some other joints for the month two. I can't really talk about them because I actually want them to happen. That's another thing too. When you come up with an idea a lot of times and people pitch me ideas and they want me to do stuff a lot of times and I'm like, cool, yeah, I'm down. And then the shit falls through. So I never really count money or think something's going to happen or talk about it until I'm sure it's actually happening and I see that it's going to materialize and I see the paperwork. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on right now that I'm not going to talk about or, or, or bring up because I've been burned too many times. Well, not burned in the fact that I went out there and said it was going to happen and it didn't, but burned because I put, had expectations on something. I don't have expectations for shit anymore. 
at age 43, I just don't have expectations. It's like how some people are with dating. It's just like shit happens, it happens. Oh, you don't, you don't, we're not feeling each other. Let's cut this shit short. And it's not being curt or mean. It's just it. For me, the most important thing is time. Someone thinks that like when I get on social media and I have an interaction with somebody and I cut them off, that it's because, oh, you big mad. No, it's because you're wasting my fucking time. I can't get time back. You waste my time. That's the biggest thing. I could be frustrated by it. You know what gets me frustrated? Knowing I could have been doing something else. Knowing I could have put my energy elsewhere. That's what's frustrating. Or the same shit happening over and over and over and over again and not getting better. That's frustrating. Or not being able to communicate with somebody effectively. That's frustrating. Anger is saved for when it's needed. I repeat, my anger is saved for when it's needed. And then if I have it, I do something productive with it. That's why I'm talking to you right now. I do something productive with my anger. Because back in the days, I did destructive things with my anger. But when you know better, you do better.